Minds and Minds Podcast is the perfect wrestling podcast. There's a guy named Hal and there's Danielle and this guy Welcome to Tights and Fights, the show that discusses wrestling with a sincerity and hilarity that deserves no song this week. I'm saving my voice. I'm sa- I have to be in full voice. This is like a full day for me. This is stop one on a, like a voice extravaganza. <laughs> well, I wish you would have. And if I, I would have come up with if something. I scream a song, do it off the top of your head right now. Three, two, one, go. A song about wrestling. It's not a wrestling song. Hal sucks and should have warned me all along. Bye. <laughs> Perfect. That's perfect. It's so good. I like the lyrics the most. I'm this too, Hal Pass, Lublin, and I'm joined today by my fellow members of the Nation of Conversation, the dressed in the world, Danielle Radford. Hello. The whole Kelkin show, Lindsay Kelk. Hi. And we have the founder of the Philadelphia promotion, Chikara. It's Mike Shucky Ducky Quack Quackenbush. Welcome back to Tights and Fights, Mike. Hey, thanks for having me back on, guys. Of course, of course. Now, uh, Mike, let's jump right in. You're all over the place these days. In addition to your in-ring career, you've now got a YouTube series called Till We Make It. Tell us about that. It's true. It's kind of based on this. When I first broke into pro wrestling, the first couple of years, I had no mentor or coach. You know, it kind of like predates Google searches and the ubiquity of the internet. So early on, I make every horrific mistake there is to make. I don't understand. Like, how do you not offend everyone in a locker room? How do you network? How do you, you know, not break your neck? I knew none of these things. I just had to make it up. So I would like to make sure the next generation of wrestlers coming up do not go through what I did. Because (laughs) if I'd had a leg up on all that stuff, I think I could have accomplished a whole lot more in my first 25 years in wrestling. And thus... Till we make it. It's a little bit tutorial. It's a little bit motivational. But it kind of expands on what I was doing on Kayfabe 2.0, which was another project, but a podcast, an audio podcast, all of which I make for pro wrestlers, by the way. It's top secret information that is not available to the public. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody can can get this. You keep it uh, usually in a briefcase that's handcuffed to your wrist. Isn't that right? (laughs) I do. It's only there in the YouTubes. That's That's right. Uh, Mike, I have a question for you about that, just sort of leaping off this whole concept. You you talk about the ubiquity of the Internet that there is now. Has that led to a new generation of mistakes that people are making? Because it it seems to me, and I think we've discussed this before in the past, that the Internet has given rise to the, and I put this in, in quotes, smart fan, where they think that they understand and know everything about the business. So are there additional pitfalls or are the the... Is the risk for pitfalls greater for people coming in because they somehow think they already know what's going on? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Like, we the, we could probably author a series of books about the deleterious effect of social media specifically. Like, let's narrow it down from the internet to social media on professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the things that you just outlined there, Hal. But the analogy I often stick with is this. Um when I was growing up, I grew up in a sleepy suburb outside of Reading, PA, called West Lawn, where about four blocks from where I grew up, there was like a community pool where on summer vacation, that's where all the kids would go, right? Like as soon as you could slather sunscreen on and grab a towel, you would ride your bike down to the community pool and you spent your days, at least at my pool, eating like Swedish fish and ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> and occasionally you would jump in the pool. And although the community pool as an idea, as an analogy for social media anyway, the community pool serves a purpose, right? It's where we go to socialize. It's where we go maybe to normalize. It's part of our daily routine is going to that community pool. Still, you must appreciate the fact that basically what you're doing is swimming in everyone else's urine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, perfect. That's perfect. Uh, <laughs> it's social media swimming in everyone's urine. That That's, is Twitter. That should that be is... Twitch's new tagline. Yeah. <laughs> Please come swim in my urine. By right. the way. And like the, the pissing matches on Twitter oftentimes overshadow 
the storylines that are written by teams of dozens of writers who have that as their full-time job, yep. which is meant to compel you to want to watch, you know, whatever the product is. If WWE ships a three-hour product every Monday night, if they ship a two-hour product every Tuesday, or, you know, whatever form it takes on. It takes on being the elite on YouTube or whatever's on New Japan World right now. Whatever that thing is they're shipping, that's the product you're meant to be paying attention to, not... Twitter banter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, so do you think, because obviously a lot of people have been able to use Twitter to their advantage. Becky Lynch is very good at uh, Twitter. Stokely Carmichael is very good at using Twitter to bring attention to himself and social media. Do you do any very specific training for people about, I don't know, how to go back and erase tweets that maybe <laughs> were made long before they knew anyone would care about who they were? That's very astute, Danielle. And yes, believe it or not, I teach a seminar that's called Your Big League Tryout. And it's based in part, like, uh, from what I've observed from doing recurring work down at the Performance Center and actually once getting to be there when they did one of their tryout camps. And that is part of it. That social media training has to be part of it. And as much as, I don't know, something about that maybe rubs me a little raw, I do realize, like, 20 years from now, once social media moves on to its next evolution, once that online community finally grows up a little bit and gets out of this weird, you know, rebellious teenage phase that it's in, we're all going to look back and laugh, I hope. We're going to look back and be like, can you believe that was acceptable? Can you believe that we elected a Twitter troll to be president? Can you <laughs> believe that we just Can't fill in the blanks, right? Day. Think of all the things social media has enabled in this day and age, and hopefully all that's going to seem really passe. That's the hope. <laughs> Everyone sat here with their fingers optimism. crossed yeah. and saying nothing, but we, we love that optimism at Tights and Bites. Yeah. yeah, we're nodding really hard. I don't know if the mics picked that up <laughs> yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, I have a really specific question because, you know, this is a nice general podcast. Uh, but about your advice that you give in this fabulous course for wrestlers, we um, spoke to Rob Van Dam a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking to us a lot about how things have changed, how things have moved on. And a lot of the things he mentioned was that respect in the locker room and how, you know, you can get in trouble with the the guys in the locker room and how fans can annoy wrestlers by using the wrong terminology or not knowing what they should and shouldn't say to people. And I think that's something we hear a lot about from fans, that they get confused by that. Uh, and I think if you're a fan moving into being a wrestler, that must be really hard. So what is your advice there? You're right. That is a very specific question. It is. Sorry. <laughs> but it's something that I feel like I hear a lot from. When I talk to our listeners, that's the thing they don't get because they think knowing the terminology and knowing Makes you sound happens, cool, like an makes insider. Makes you cool and, and means you love it and means you pay so much attention that you're engaged. But then you find out if you get involved in the world at all that it's actually seen as disrespectful to use that language before you're invited to. Um, and I just, I think I'd love to hear what your advice would be to someone who's just starting out as to where they go from there. Sure. And uh, as you were saying that, the thing that, of course, springs to my mind right away is the term job. Um, if you were to, you know, like I remember when I first discovered that there were places on the Internet you could talk about professional wrestling. So I went to the rec-sport pro wrestling use group back in the mid-90s. <laughs> nice. And they had like a list of insider terminology that you could read, which was more extensive than anything I'd even heard in locker rooms because, you know, I start back in 1994. So um, I have never, ever heard a pro wrestler refer to another wrestler as a jobber, ever. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems like such a slap in the face. And yet I have, you know, I've had interactions with fans where they throw that term around and I just kind of think, wow, like that would just never fly in a locker room, right? Like somebody would probably pick you up by your shirt collars and be like, what did you just say to that person? <laughs> mm. um, right. It would be seen as such uh, disrespect. I think two, two things about what you said, Lindsay. One, wrestling is such a marginalized pursuit for the fandom as much for the performers. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, even as a high school kid, right, I didn't know other kids that went to the pharmacy to buy wrestling magazines off the newsstand. Like, that was not the sort of thing that you bragged about. Not unless you wanted to be the victim of an atomic wedgie and stuffed <laughs> into your locker. Um, right? Like, every 80s bully is waiting for you to say, I have Pro Wrestling Illustrated in my backpack. So, 
we all know what that's like to be a little ostracized because of the weird thing that we love. And the feeling of knowing the terminology as maybe being an entry point to the community is easy to understand. Yeah. It's just like when you stand behind somebody in line at Starbucks who says small, medium, and large. You're like, that's not the terminology we use here, right? It's <laughs> yeah. tall, grande, and venti. And you got to speak the language if you want to be part of the conversation. So we appreciate where that comes from, why people think that's important. When you make the transition, though, from one side of the curtain to the other, although things are not as harsh as they were when I broke in, where the, f- the feeling was you will immediately stop being a wrestling fan the moment you become a performer because – that's not professional. I, I am glad to say I feel like that philosophy is largely obsolete. And it's been replaced by this. There is a generation of people, myself among them, who believe it is dangerous to lose contact with what it is that made you want to dedicate your whole adult life to this insane pursuit. And if you cannot connect to your inner fan, if you lack the ability to put your fan goggles on and love this thing, you're in a very dangerous place to perform from because you are outside the conversation looking in as opposed to adrift in the river going with the current. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> this is my very specific question. I actually have to ask a question. Well, this is very impertinent. Very impertinent indeed. <laughs> Should we just leave? <laughs> Never, Julian, in my life. Uh, you're, you, you talk a lot about uh, transitioning into the locker room. And uh, as somebody who I didn't play a whole lot of organized sports, but I did report on them and I am very interested in all of them. One of the things that I always hear um, professional athletes talk about is the locker room culture. And the, po- and the one thing that they dwell on as far as the positive side of that uh, locker room culture is that it brings a lot of people together who you would never want to associate, who you would never, I guess, be inclined to associate with in real life because they roll in a lot of circles that maybe you don't um, socially. Mm-hmm. But the one thing that brings you guys together is that you have this one goal athletically whether that's on a team or now in wrestling to put on a show uh is that something that you've noticed that you kind of like end up you know forming relationships with people in locker rooms that you never would have um if it wasn't for pro wrestling oh yeah absolutely i think you just nailed it on the head there i think a great example from an earlier era of chikara is eddie kingston eddie kingston is the kind of guy that if not for the fact that we are brought together by professional wrestling, we would never associate, and we would probably have never even met each other. What I like about that, as a kid who grew up reading Bronze Age Marvel comics, is it always kind of reminds me of the X-Men. There is no reason on Earth why Cyclops and Wolverine and Colossus and Storm and Banshee are all together on a team, except that there's this unifying mission that brings them all together. And I feel like that in most locker rooms that I'm in. Well, speaking of locker rooms, let's let's talk about Chikara a little bit. Not the locker room, but actually uh, what's been going on with it. The last time we spoke to you, describe the lockers, Mike. Yeah, describe the locker. What would you, are they? Large lockers. They are military green. Yes, <laughs> and I genuinely feel bad for knowing that. Yeah. I don't know about you. It's beautiful. Uh, now, the the last time we spoke, well, with thanks you... for having me on, guys. <laughs> Great. This is my quackenbush. If you have any questions for my... Uh, <laughs> last time we spoke with you, you were on the verge of the 2018 King of Trios tournament, which was won by the Colony. 2019's edition of the largest tournament in pro wrestling begins on October 4th. Who are some of the announced teams that you're excited uh, to see, and, and what should our listeners be looking out for? Well, this year, thus far, only about half the field has been revealed. Heavy focus on the Australian scene. Mm. So Mm. last year's finalists, the nations are returning, and this year's the hottest act in all of Australia is coming. The Velocities are coming, making their United States debut. So that certainly has our fan base excited. I think the one team, though, that has really captured the imagination of everyone is the somewhat oddball trio of Scott Steiner, P.D. Williams and Jordan Grace. Oh, I'm so into oh, it. Wow. I've been loving everything they've been doing on <laughs> yeah. social media. I love that she's got her chain mail ready. <laughs> I am so into it. <laughs> yep, people were responding like, oh, is this like a joke? And I thought, you don't know how we do things, do you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Are, are there things that you learned from last year that you applied to this year's tournament? Things that, that are a little bit different? Uh, or is it just sort of the natural next step in the evolution of something like this. 
No, we learn no lessons. We are incredibly <laughs> bullheaded. Um, it is to this that we can really attribute our extremely limited success, Hal. <laughs> what are the things you've refused to change the most when you really dug your heels in to the point where you needed surgery? Apart from the military say, green my, locker rooms, yes, obviously. Yeah. Right. Well, that's number one, the military green locker rooms. Number sure. two, probably my deadpan delivery. Those sure. are the two things. Those are the two. Um, can't change it. <laughs> well, there, there has been um, a, a bit of a sea change, a bit of a paradigm shift. And I'm going to use a term here, and I, I hope people understand why I'm using this term. And I think it's been, you could say, what gave rise to quotes around high spot pornography mm. is animated GIFs. The idea that mm. I've got maybe, I don't know, 10 seconds or less to put something on uh, that seems very titillating. It seems as if it's going to grab you to buy a video or purchase a stream or something like that. And because that's kind of the economy of social media, that has caused a real change in the output of professional wrestling. And I think if we're talking about something that we've dug our heels in against at Chikara, it is the idea that that supplants great storytelling and bold characters. In my mind, it never does. Maybe something that's akin to that, and again, I, I hope people are understanding why I chose to use that term, high-spot pornography. I think something related to that, and I, pardon me for showing my nerdy comic roots here, it's a little bit about like what happened when Image Comics arrives on the scene in the 90s. Yes, Queen, tell them. <laughs> Sorry, right. I also get way too into 90s comics on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. So Rob Liefeld, who is a great example of sort of like the auteur of the day, is a guy who draws bodies and shapes in this in insane and exaggerated way. And when his art is on the cover or when he's doing the entire book, once he moves over to image and it kind of becomes him and his six cohorts running the ship, it's as if that it's as if the flash replaces the substance. And I think there's a little bit of that going on. I'm not trying to say that it's bad, right? Like there obviously there's a market for that. And I enjoy those kinds of matches, too. Like, I'm not trying to say I'm turning up my nose at them. Yeah, but also, like, you need someone who... You also need feet, which is what you don't get with Rob Liefeld. And sometimes when matches are too <laughs> spotty, you don't have stories. Yes, exactly. There must be a balance there. And one thing that's always been true of Chikara is that it is the storefront, so to speak, for the Wrestle Factory. This is where we showcase the people that come out of our program. So... By virtue of that, they are inherently rookies. These are always the newest people coming out of a training system. And the people that are exceptionally proficient at, again, for lack of a better term, the high spot pornography of the day, they aren't rookies. These are people with years, if not decades of experience, and they have such incredible timing and precision that they're able to pull off those amazing feats that you see encapsulated in an animated GIF. So I have to look at what do I have to work with and how can I focus on their strengths? If they don't have the seasoning, timing, or polish to pull that sort of thing off, well, maybe we better leave that to the people that are exceptionally proficient at it and let's stick with something we know we can be good at. That's brilliant, number one. <laughs> yeah. Number two, I keep thinking uh, as you're talking about this idea of high spot pornography, and I hadn't said it out loud yet, so I just wanted to make sure I checked that box off. <laughs> it, to me, as, as somebody who watches just as a fan, it's like fireworks. If yep. I go to a, yes. to a fireworks display, I might see something that is that, you know, I, I pop for for a second. I go, ooh. But as soon as I walk away, I've remembered nothing. I couldn't mm -hmm. tell you anything about it except it was loud and there were colors and it was pretty. But a good wrestling story will hook me in. And not only will I be thinking about it afterwards, but I will go tell other people mm -hmm. because I think it's such a great example. Oh, did you see this match? Because the storytelling was so good. And it's not about... This person jumped off a ladder through barbed wire into a fire pit filled with snakes. It's I would you know, watch that though. Just these so two people. It's like a great story about <laughs> about this guy being overconfident and this person fighting from underneath and yeah. pulling out an improbable victory against all these odds. Like that. It's just 
those are the things that will that sticks to your mm-hmm. ribs. That's a substantive meal. I mean, I love a good high spot and I Our love same, a good gift. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm thinking, as soon as you mentioned it, the first thing that I thought about, Mike, was the Will Osprey ricochet match mm. that was mm. gift to death, mm-hmm. um, which obviously was very contentious in the wrestling community. Everyone had very strong opinions about that match when it happened. Um, but what I think it did was it brought it shone a light on two very talented performers, and they had the abilities to back it up. Uh, and how they've both grown as performers mm-hmm. since that moment has been very telling. But yeah, I think when it's just a moment for the sake of a moment and it has no meat to it. Yeah. And I think also people, sad. like, sorry, people learned the, lo- the wrong lessons from that match. And again, I'm not like an expert, but in my viewing, when I first saw it, I thought it, it was the idea of anything you can do, I can do better. And that's why it was so spotty. That was the story. Mm-hmm. But then because it became so gift, I think people took away the wrong lessons. It's like to go back to 90s comics, somewhere we're all comfortable with. It's like when you started getting into that deconstructionist era where you started getting Watchmen and Squadron Supreme and things like that. Mm-hmm. And those became big and, and Dark Knight, those became part of the story. And then all people learned from that was we want grim and gritty. They didn't understand why that worked. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I I think that's a a very astute observation. When you remove it from its greater context, right, the story of whatever you can do, I can do better, and you distill that to a three-second clip, you can't expect the viewer to understand the context. And although I like a good fireworks show, you know, like I, I love to sit under the fireworks and can we play, I don't know, Don't Stop Believing by Journey and can I eat boardwalk fries or funnel cake? <laughs> yeah, I want that Always. experience. Johnson's but there's an corn. economy to that, is there not? <laughs> mm-hmm. That I want to balance out the ephemera, that fleeting content that passes through my stream in the blink of an eye with that meteor stuff like you referred to, Hal, that sticks to your ribs. I want a little of both. I don't want just one on my plate. Yeah, look, I, the fireworks work because they're the culmination of the 4th of July, which is a major story, and th- there's a reason even for, for that fireworks display. It would be way different than if it was on July 22nd at 10 p.m., Tim the neighbor. Yeah, you don't, live, your you don't live in my neighborhood, Al. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, there is, it, it, it has to have context to it, 100%. I, that, that is, is of the ultimate, perform, uh, the ultimate uh, importance. And also to any story, the things in it need to, there needs to be an internal logic. And, you know, it all needs to make sense. I should be able to track it from point A to point Z and have a reasonable understanding of, of, what was going on mm-hmm. at that point it's either a problem with my perception or just the story the way the story was told didn't connect with me as a viewer mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think your insight is spot on there Daniel you were saying about learning the wrong lessons referencing back to Watchmen and Squadron Supreme and sort of that trend in the wake of you know a Dark Knight's part of that right Crisis on Infinite Earths um, all, of the, all of it starts to get a little grimmer and a little grittier um, just like you can see the comic creators that learned the wrong lessons from that. Similarly, you can see the types of performers that learned the quote-unquote wrong lessons from Osprey Ricochet. And yet, wrestling thrives because of its subjectivity. You need as many people that kind of get it right as you do kind of get it wrong. That contrast illuminates certain things. And that's also what allows you to start to differentiate, just like when you're discovering what your musical taste is. So growing up, my favorite band is They Might Be Giants. Sure. I had a lot of people who would say to me, oh, if you like They Might Be Giants, you should try Soul Coughing. So I would buy Soul Coughing albums and think, this is not for me at all. (laughs) (laughs) But I needed to listen to that, right? And even though in some people's minds, this is the next logical step in my subjective interpretation, it was the absolute wrong step. But that also helps get me closer to the thing I enjoy most. I'm curious now, what would you say is the next logical step from They Might Be Giants? So a close step is Bare Naked Ladies, but I think even more accurately is uh, a little-known Canadian band called Moxie Fruvis. Does anybody know Moxie Fruvis? I have heard of them, I have heard of them, uh, just as a Seattle girl. They only made maybe four albums, and three of them definitely show off their sense of humor. I think they made a misstep when they make The Serious album, Mm -hmm. and then they disband shortly thereafter. Like, one of them's a software designer now. I think one of them has been brought brought up on some awful charges. Um, So, yeah, they're no longer together. But it was tough. If you loved They Might Be Giants, right, what is the next? There isn't anything exactly as quirky and clever as they are. Yeah, nobody's fig- humans can't figure it out. Algorithms can't figure it out. Nobody knows what we might also like. Only, only we do. It's it is personal. <laughs> For goodness' sakes, yes. the internet. 
Amazon, I'm looking at you. Uh, if you have any thoughts on all the things we've discussed with Mike Quackenbush so far, let us know about them at facebook.com slash group slash tightsfights. And at tightsfights on Twitter and Instagram, we're going to get Mike's thoughts on more in the wrestling world. That's coming up on Tights and Fights. Genre film fans, hear me. I know you're out there. Do not be ashamed of your love for gore, action, sci-fi, or fantasy. It's time to come out of the shadows. Because on Switchblade Sisters, we celebrate our love for genre films. I'm film critic April Wolf. Each week I have a conversation with a different female filmmaker about their fave genre film, and we cover film craft, getting projects off the ground, working with actors, and our general love for genre movies. I've had so many great guests, like Heather Graham. In the past, it's like so many films are made by men that the female point of view is not always respected, which is why all these stories haven't come out till now. Jennifer's body director, Karin Kusama. I think there's a lot more fantasy and a lot more expectation projected onto a woman director. Comedian and actor, Kate Berlin. I mean, it sounds so cheesy to talk about it in yourself. Like, you just keep going. You're, you know, I'm just a vessel. Like, I, I just do it. You know, I don't think, but like, that is what it is. And many others. So check out Switchblade Sisters every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Lublin. I'm joined today by... Danielle Radford. And... Lindsay Kelt. And... Mike Quackenbush. Oh, Mike. he kind of killed the saying his own name. <laughs> I kind of feel like I can't do yeah, it anymore. He's good at it. He's, he's really... professional. He's, he's, he's out there. He's out there. I don't know. Is I'm that what you say? I'm a professional. We out here? We he out, out here. He, he out here. He them boys. He them boys. <laughs> Mike... As dem boys, there's been a bunch of changes in wrestling lately. New Japan's what? Held... I know it's crazy. <laughs> the wrestling business is changing. A oh, New Japan, man. they had their first U.S. shows. Three women have main evented WrestleMania for the first time. The launch of AEW has happened. Uh, is there a trend or trait that you've been interested in across the entirety of, of wrestling that maybe is a through line in all these, or just another trend that you that really sort of piques your interest? Well. To say something across all of it is difficult, but I could say that I appreciate that a sense of competition is returning, since a real vacuum opens up by the end of 2001 when the McMahon machine gobbles up WCW and ECW. And granted, in that vacuum, a couple fascinating things, at least in the U.S. scene, begin to happen. That's You look at 2002, right? That's Chikara, Ring of Honor, the NWA TNA experiment, all that kind of springs up. But... None of those have ever really been within striking distance of the industry leader. What's interesting about AEW, at least coming out of the gate, like they seem like a real contender. And that's cool, right? Like we're all kind of looking for somebody to take the fight right to the industry leader because that competition spurs greatness. So New Japan saying, hey, maybe we're going to plant our flag here. Cool. Can't wait to see where the pieces move on the chessboard next. And what does that mean for you? What does that mean? Let's say AEW, which I think starts on, oh, what is it, TBS? TNT. TNT. Mm-hmm. TNT. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say they're they're successful. And, you know, I've heard it said in the past that the thing you need to really compete with Vince McMahon is a billion dollars. That's like the starting point. <laughs> but let's mm-hmm. let's say they're they're successful and they're getting ratings. Does that create opportunities for you to increase exposure? How, how does that affect you? Well... Uh, it depends, I suppose, on your, your point of view. So in some ways, yes, because people who are products of the Wrestle Factory or cut their teeth at Chikara will be featured on All Elite. So depending on people's willingness to go running down a Wikipedia rabbit hole, it may, in fact, have some sort of, um, you know, like commutative property effect. And I do believe in the idea that high tide rises all boats. I believe in that. What this has really shown a light on is how badly people just want an alternative to WWE. And that alternative, generally speaking, is not independent wrestling. Because independent wrestling has existed since the day WCW and ECW disappeared, and it it goes back even further. If you look at when the territory system really comes to an end, the dying days of Vern Gagne's AWA and as world class is crumbling down in Dallas, once the territories finally have eroded and crumbled... This is the beginning of the true independent scene. 
And a lot of people look at that moment when Eastern becomes extreme championship wrestling as the inciting incident. Uh, you can make some arguments either way, but let's just say for the sake of argument, that's it. If that's true, we're looking at what, 1994 mm-hmm. is when independent wrestling really begins. And then in the vacuum, like I, like I discussed a moment ago when WCW and ECW disappear, independent wrestling surges, and yet it never really becomes popular at a mainstream level. It just doesn't. So it's not that people want independent wrestling. That's not the case. What they want is something they think is a competitive alternative to WWE. And in the minds of a lot of people, as you pointed out, Hal, that means like a billion dollars. Or it might mean they've got television-level stars like a John Moxley um, that makes them seem competitive. If you've wanted, you know, what you might call better in-ring wrestling, of course, that's a little subjective, or you want better told stories, or you want you know, more intriguing characters or a more progressive stance on your professional wrestling, that's been out there for the last 18 years waiting for you to discover it. And it's not as if people have gone out there, picked it up on their shoulders and been like, here it is. This is that other thing we've been waiting for. It really is as if all other bands stopped being played on radio. And for 18 years, people were like, you know what? I think I think we'll just keep accepting whatever you two makes because college radio is just so hard to tune into. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I wonder from the the TV side of it. The part of the issue is it, it felt like there was a time, certainly in the heyday of that that late '90s, early 2000s, when WCW and and WWF at the at the time are making money. They're pulling in advertisers that. And ECW, I know, had a television deal for a while that it might have been a little bit easier to get a television deal. Then WCW falls apart. And if from an outside television uh, network's view, it's just, well, that's not sustainable on television. You can really only have one wrestling company with, with, a, nationally, uh, with a nationally broadcast show. So the fact that AEW gets now has a deal on TNT which is a major you know and I know Lucha Underground but but this is a made TNT is a major cable network could this signal assuming it's successful the opportunity for for other wrestling promotions such as Chikara to maybe get uh, that type of television deal would that would, do you think that that's possible in in today's landscape I think so. And I think if you look at the phenomenon of superhero movies over the last 12 years, mm. right, like the, the blueprint is kind of there. There's that period of time where, you know, after the Adam West Batman show goes off the air in 1969, where any type of superhero movie, it can't be made, right? Oh, that's like campy kids stuff, isn't it? Right? right. And then all of a sudden, Christopher Reeve's Superman comes along in 1978 and shows people... You know, you had made this assumption 11, you know, whatever it was, 10, 11 years ago, and here we are able to turn that around. And then it takes from that point till 1989, right, when you get there with the the first of the Burton Batman movies, to once again kind of like signal like, hey, look, there's something even more robust here. But that is still decades before the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything else that's going on where there's a superhero movie at the local Cineplex every single weekend. So... Some of that old thinking will be slowly controverted, and a lot of that will hinge on how AEW presents itself. But you also have the opportunity now, like you're doing, you can you can stream Chikara wherever you are. You don't really you can bypass that uh, that sort of network television structure. At the same time, is that something that you would be interested in? Do you think it would? Uh, you know, not that it's is it something you would actively pursue if you felt like there were. Uh, that there, the opportunity was there? Or do you feel like the way you're growing now is the way you want to grow because you, you can directly connect with fans and you don't have to deal with, with anybody else's limitations or, or needs? No, I, you know, I like the challenge of that just fine. And you know, it was some time ago, I don't know, eight years ago now, we made a round of pitches. We went to Nickelodeon, we went to Cartoon Network, we went to Disney XD, Hasbro was launching The Hub at the time, mm-hmm. and maybe a couple others, I don't, re- I don't really remember. But we did a bunch of these pitch meetings and we went in with something which in my mind was like tailor-made for what they wanted. And it just seemed as if, well, what this group wanted was different and, oh, that's not that. And, hey, can't this have more animation? And we would love this provided no one has ever punched or kicked on your show. And, <laughs> you know, blah, 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 blah. And the timing for all of that just it just wasn't right. Right? Like there was also a time when you couldn't have gotten Guardians of the Galaxy greenlit. 
you just couldn't have like a D-list Marvel property. What are you mm-hmm. kidding? Yeah. yeah. Right. Like come back to me with Spider-Man, X-Men or Avengers. Like don't come to me with Guardians of the Galaxy. The fact that they're even talking about making the Eternals oh, boy. or Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu <laughs> I was into a movie. Just about to say that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Come on. But there is there is quite potentially an era like this for wrestling out there on the horizon that we have to keep moving toward. And I think AEW could play a vital role in getting us there. Uh, I have a question, actually, Mike, on about well, something no. you... Like, I'm sorry. Is that okay? <laughs> Please may I ask you a question, Mike? Um, uh, I listened to um, your last episode uh, when you were on Tights Fights, and I was not here on that episode. And I do remember listening to it as a fan and thinking, this is a great episode with many salient points raised, so much so that I re-listened to it um, yesterday. And one point that you made that I thought was really, really fascinating, and your opinion presumably will have evolved since you uh, stated it, is you said at the end of the episode that you thought the coming year would show um, a development between the corporate side of wrestling and the art of wrestling. And that's where the split would come from uh, as we moved forward. And with AEW coming along now, I'm just really curious as to how you feel that might change now. Um, Because obviously we've gone now from having one option or the indies. And how do you think that's going to have an impact on wrestling and wrestlers out there? Well, um, you know, it's, it's a little early to know exactly where they're going to come down. If I had to predict, I would expect, based on who's behind them, right, AEW will fall on the corporate side of that fence. Mm-hmm. It might be important the way they present themselves and market themselves to a fan base to appear to be other than that. But uh, I, I stand by the statement that I think that division between the two is growing. And some of this is informed by a lot of the recurring work that I did all through the spring months down at the WWE's Performance Center when it's become clearer to me that what sports entertainment is is more than just a euphemism for professional wrestling. They are two separate things. And yes, there is a shared space on their Venn diagram where there are certain skills held in common by both. But that's a little like looking at ping pong and tennis and saying (laughs) they're the same sport because they involve a ball going back and forth over a net. They require two very different skill sets. And I think that's only going to kind of like continue to separate. The I'm sure similar arguments were made about artists on major record labels and the ones who remained independent throughout their career. Uh, Once again, to kind of go back to something I know very well, there's a huge difference in the output between they might be giants on restless records, a little known indie label and when they're on Electra. And Hmm. similarly, when you, when you are making a and shipping a television product on a weekly basis, when you are industry, so to speak, well, that that's it, right? Like you are part of the product. And that's when they take the tape recorder away. (laughs) (laughs) I guess so, right? They can't. It can't be a drum machine anymore. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like that's what it is, right? Like you are now responsible for making a product and its industry and all of those terms. It's difficult to balance. I, I heard some great remarks by Sir George Martin about the Beatles, about the arc of his time with the Beatles, saying where. He and Brian Epstein had the responsibility of handling the industry side of it, the shipping of the product, the business. That freed the Beatles to be artists because mm-hmm. when those things must be commingled, they corrupt each other. And I thought that that was like an exceptionally salient point. Mm. That's interesting how that ties into some of the things we've heard from a certain John Moxley about how he felt at WWE with what he was creating versus what he was being asked to output by uh, the corporate mm-hmm. side of things. So it's interesting that as someone with that take that he's decided to go to AEW. I'm really mm-hmm. interested to sure. see how they marry the corporate needs of the company versus mm-hmm. the creative desires of their performers. I think that's going to be interesting to watch. Right. And I think they're going to have to be very careful that they do not alienate the audience that has presumed them to be one thing, mm-hmm. when in reality they might be something very different. That's the growing pains that they're all going to go through. And, you know, a lot of the guys in, in charge of that are friends of mine. The Young Bucks are, you know, they, they broke out in the U.S. a lot based on what we did with them at Chikara a decade ago. So certainly, I, you know, I want to see them succeed at the very highest of level, not just because they're my friends. They're just great, smart guys. I want to see them get ahead. But they're going to go through a year of very difficult growing pains. So that's just the reality of it. And they're going to come out the other side having discovered this is what is tenable for us. And it may not be, you know, as 
free of compromise as we all like to believe it is when we're a little more idealistic. Yeah, that's a really fair point. So speaking of, you talked a little bit about your time at the Performance Center. Um, you talked about, you, you know, you've uh, been working with Alexa Bliss for her in-ring return. What was that like? Having the opportunity to work with any of the people down at the Performance Center is generally like waking up to find you have a Christmas gift every day. <laughs> because that's what I love. Uh, just spending my whole day doing pro wrestling like I, it's like going on a mini vacation <laughs> and i realize i i empathize with the coaches that are down there you know they're wonderful coaching staff under matt bloom at the performance center it's it's my old friend sarah del rey is there uh serena deeb is there scotty too hottie terry taylor robbie brookside norman smiley etc these wonderful wonderful coaches that have diverse bodies of work i get why they are so burnt out because there's a hundred plus kids down there. About a third of them don't speak English as their first language. A bigger percentage of them have no pro wrestling background or knowledge whatsoever before they're signed by the WWE. It's a boxer from Egypt who's never seen a minute of professional wrestling before they hire them. Uh, a girl from China who studied Wushu Kung Fu who'd never even heard of pro wrestling before she was at a tryout camp her friend signed her up for. They've got to teach them everything they need to know from the ground up and have them TV ready within months. And the amount of energy that requires on a daily basis, it's exhausting. So I feel very fortunate when I'm there and people are like, hey, you know who needs another hour of your time? Or this person's been asking if you could cover for them. Or can you go jump in the ring with these beginners and teach them a couple things? Or take these six people and help them come up with better characters or whatever? Every single day like that, it's like you're handing me the coolest gift ever, and I get to open it all day long. Um, is it extra special fun when someone who's appeared at a couple WrestleManias and whose face is plastered on the side of the WWE's tour bus <laughs> says, hey, could you get up an extra half hour early? I'll bring the coffee, but we really need to work on funky arm drags and weird submission holds. I think thank you, Wrestling Christmas, for coming early again this year. <laughs> we call it ice cream Christmas around these parts. That's right. Um, <laughs> Every day is Mike's ice cream Christmas. This is, yeah. Honestly, Mike, listening to you is giving me so much joy because to hear yeah. someone that's so joyous and positive about all things wrestling. Especially is, having been involved in it, yeah. like really down to the nitty gritty for Everything so Everything we love. I'm, I'm curious when, when you're down there at the Performance Center, and, and obviously you're getting all these requests, can you help with character? Can you help these people learn some of the basics? Which of those, of all of the Christmas presents, which is your favorite one to open? What What do you love doing the most while you're there? Wow, that that's a very difficult question to answer. Maybe an interesting point that helps to illuminate a little bit. So, growing up, my peer group, they loved the Red Rooster. Mm. And I remember watching television matches that Terry Taylor had probably when he was way more in his athletic prime than he is now, right? He's probably in his mid-60s, I would guess. Mm -hmm. still, still a remarkably handsome and charming fellow. Nevertheless, um, his athletic prime is behind him. Terry Taylor, the first time I went down there, has no idea who Mike Quackenbush is. Probably also true by the fifth time I get there. No <laughs> idea who Mike Quackenbush is. But every once and again, I would watch him over in his ring, and Terry has the most coveted of him. He has the ring in the dead center of the floor of the Performance Center, and he's kind of the gatekeeper. When you're under Terry's eye, you know you are about to go up to the main roster. It is a coveted spot to be training in the ring with Terry. When I would catch him stopping his class so he could watch what I was doing over in my ring, just observing me a little bit here and there, there was something about that that um, put a smile on my cranky face that this guy who I used to watch on TV and who I thought, that guy is really talented, and to whom I am an absolute nobody, that he would stop what he was doing and just observe how I did what I did. And on the last two or three times that I was down there, I watched as he kind of would sidle up beside me in an effort to become what I call Wrestle Dad. Hmm. And he would say things to me like, hey man, you know... Um, I saw that you were really struggling with this thing, and I came up against that once. Can I give you my hack for that so that you can have an easier time with it? Or, hey, I saw you were producing this segment, and you really didn't know how to get you know, what the script was asking for you in front of the camera. And when I came up against that, I learned to do this. Can I show you this? 
that has been so enormously rewarding to me, feeling like uh, I am contributing to something larger. And every time I have an experience like that, I mean, there's, there's like a cavalcade of them that are kind of like flooding into my brain. All these kind of, they probably come across as being very trivial stories, like this one I'm sharing with you about Terry Taylor. Right? They may even seem a bit mundane. Um, I get a lot of enjoyment out of that, out of feeling like, yeah, right? Like, we all understand the thing. And even though the way you make it is different from how I make it, and that's different from how Norman makes it, or that's different from how Sarah makes it, at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, and that is for the people that are in our charge to shine like superstars. And we're going to do everything in our power to give them the tools and the skills that they need to realize that. So whatever it is that they want for themselves, they want to be the NXT champion, they want to go up to the red one or the blue one or the purple one, whatever the thing is that they want for themselves, they can get there because of something I gave them, because my experience benefits someone else and made them a better performer. Speaking of which, somebody you've worked with is Drew Gulak. How did it feel? Well, sure, I trained him from the ground up. Exactly. He's one of my kids. So how did it feel to watch him win the Cruiserweight title? It was very edifying. You know, Drew came to me and his younger brother Rory as well. When they were still teenagers, they began training with me. Don't tell my insurance carrier. <laughs> and they've been with me since the very, very beginning. I think Rory was 14 when he started training. Um, so to watch Drew rise up through the ranks and the fact that you know, I got the opportunity to wrestle him in his independent farewell right before he reports down in Florida. That kind of was like a bookend to one chapter of our story together. I'm very proud of Drew. And then, then he had to go on and start to write a story that is somewhat independent of me. And yet, when I got to watch him win the Cruiserweight title, or this Sunday, I was lucky enough to be there live in the arena watching him defend it against Tony Nese. It gave me a deep swell of pride to see the little traces, the little spices some of the ingredients that I gave him, and they went into his oven, into his fabulous brain, and they baked and came out and made something delicious. But you can still taste a little bit of those spices I gave him in there. And I felt like I was glowing to watch him. I, I only stayed for the first half of the show to watch people who I've had a hand in training or who are friends of mine. Um, I'm friends with the guys in the Revival. Uh, I trained Claudio Castagnoli right up until the moment he becomes Cesaro. Yeah, you did. When I used to do caravans in Europe, I trained Tommy N before he becomes Alistair Black. And of course, Alexa Bliss, as you noted. Um, so I wanted to see how all of them did. I wanted to be there to support them. Uh, even though I was stashed away in some wacky club box they arranged for me <laughs> that I could have never afforded on my own, nor would I have chosen. Um, <laughs> Just to be there to kind of let them know, hey, I'm, I'm with you in spirit so that you may not be able to make eye contact with me or high five me. But I want you to know that your your coach or your mentor or your friend or however you see me is there right there beside you. That's so lovely. This is giving me so many feels and it's very nice. Um, I was wondering, given how much of a huge impact you've had on all of these wrestlers, uh, is there anyone you haven't worked with that you would love to work with? Is there anyone whose work you watch and you just think, man, if I could get a couple of hours with that person across any promotion anywhere in the world? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> th there's quite a list of that. You know, right now, I am out on my 25th anniversary tour, and I'm doing exactly 25 matches in 365 days, no more, and, and probably no less. Uh, <laughs> and one of the people I had always hoped that I could just share the ring with is Christopher Daniels. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, I have such admiration for him. Unfortunately, logistically, we looked at a, a, a date or two where it might have been possible, and it turns out it's not possible. So I, I lament that. Part of the reason I wanted to get back out there after being very judicious and selective about the matches that I do, and in the last four years, give or take, I could probably name the people I've wrestled roughly on one hand, right? I had two matches with Zack Sabre Jr., uh, two with my dear friend Johnny Kidd as he was retiring, the farewell match with Drew Gulak as we alluded to, maybe, maybe one or two others. I wanted to get back out there because there is now a generation of independent wrestlers I have never interacted with. And there were decades of my career where I knew everybody everywhere in mm -hmm. every corner of the industry. So 
if anything, I'm just excited by all the people that are out there I have yet to even meet. Like, I don't know their names yet, but I can't wait to be in a locker room or watching on a monitor and think, this kid's really got it. You know, look at this person who's reinvented this thing in a way I could have never even imagined. And what would happen if we teamed up together, right? Like, what does our Marvel team-up look like? We are going to have the most amazing team-up anybody has ever seen. So, of course, there's like, you know, a, a zillion people that I, I kind of have access to in my existing network, but I'm looking forward to these, especially some of these overseas trips I have coming up. I'm on my way to Australia next month. I go to Madrid in October, then the UK. Who am I going to meet while I'm out there on the road that's just going to spark something new in my imagination? And I want to believe that out there, there are those types of wrestling simpaticos. Like when you come together, all I needed was the jelly to my peanut butter. And we're about to serve up the most delicious sandwich anyone has ever made. Because <laughs> all it will take is the combination of our imaginative energies. And we're going to make wrestling even more awesome. Well, uh, you certainly have made our podcast more awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Uh, but stick around. We've got one more thing left to go. If you have any thoughts about our chat with Mike, uh, boy, this is so great. Just, I do, yeah. <laughs> oh, great. Thank goodness. Let us know about it at facebook.com slash group slash tights fights and at tights fights oh. on Twitter and Instagram. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> but we'll be back with some things from wrestling that you should know about. That's up next on Tights and Fights. Riley Smurl. I'm Sydney McElroy. And I'm Taylor Smurl. And together we host a podcast called Still Buffering, where we answer questions like Why should I not fall asleep first at a slumber party? How do I be fleet? Is it okay to break up with someone using emojis? And sometimes we talk about butts. No, we don't. Nope. <laughs> Find out the answers to these important questions and many more on Still Buffering, a sister's guide to teens through the ages. I am a teenager and I was two butts, 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 butts. Welcome back to Tights and Fights. I'm Hal Loveland. I'm joined today by... Danielle Radford. And... Lindsay Kelk. And... Mike Quackenbush. Yes, this week we're going to end the show by sharing some of the joy of pro wrestling with you. This is the four count. Holy shit. <laughs> Mike, the guests go first here. What would you like to put over? Uh, something that I have absolutely loved that's been evolving over the course of maybe the last week or two has been what the Drake Maverick character has been putting out on social media yes. as it relates to trying to consummate his marriage. Yes! <laughs> it has been utterly hilarious. It is, I think, hands down the funniest thing going on in wrestling right now. And his willingness to what I call lose hard in front of the world audience for the sake of just making everybody laugh is just awesome. Do you think this is enjoyable look, for look, me? Honey, look, I know it's not the most ideal situation, but we're all here, right? And that's what matters. You, me, and the 24-7 championship. Hey, uh, there's a lot of room in this here crate. Why don't we uh, step inside and get it on? Look, honey, look, I'm sorry I've upset you. Look, tonight when we get out of here, I'm going to show the world what a great 24-7 champion I am, and I'm going to show you what a great husband I am as well. And then, I'm going to give you the honeymoon that you deserve. Really? Really. All right. Until then, and only then, we could come to me, our marriage. Really? Really. Really? Absolutely. <gasps> yes! I'm going to get it all with my wife! Woo! Oh. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, he really, like, he and, and uh, R-Truth are really, like, crushing. Yeah. This is Renee, crushing that concept. Renee, Renee Michelle like, everybody's incredible just, work. Yeah. It was the fantastic. only part. Uh, my uh, partner came home from work on Monday after Raw. He had missed it and said, did I miss anything on Raw? And that was the segment that I showed him because <laughs> it was just joy. It was just three minutes of straight joy. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm loving what they're doing with the 24-7 title. It's making me really happy. Danielle, what do you want to Putting it down for the people who are doing really good work on social media that's also, you know, helping them further what they're doing in the ring. Stokely Hathaway, once again, um, killing it with, he did a, uh, a short video. He's been doing a lot of those on his socials. I think he got mics now. It sounds great. And it's him doing a little bit of back and forth with friend of the podcast, Josiah Dean Williams. Adam Cole tomorrow defending his NXT championship on NXT, on the WWE Network. Against anybody. I mean, it could, it could be you. It's, it's, it's not going to be against me, dog. It's not going to be against me. What do you, what you mean? Why is it not going to be against you? So, apparently, me and Yim told some people that I've been betting on pay-per-views, so I, I won't. I won't be there tomorrow. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit this one out. Apparently. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's yeah. super crazy. Yeah, snitching. But were you? Yeah, man. I don't know who's going to wrestle Adam Cole. Okay, yeah, I got you. All right, bet. Yeah, well, whoever it is. Uh, no. Got it. Okay. Adam Cole, baby. Thank you, Danielle. Lindsay! Uh, it would have been Becky Lynch's response to Vince Russo's That's what tweet. I was going to put over, too. Well, that's what you're going to put over, so I that's won't. That's what I was going to put over. No, <laughs> you put you it over. That. No, no, you go first. Because I'm basically going to be putting over the G1 until the G1 is over. You're putting over the G1? Uh, so I'm putting over the G1 climax. Uh, it's on right now, probably right now. Like, literally yeah, probably, probably right, right now. now. Everyone go watch some awesome wrestling. Uh, it's if been you, so good. It's been so good, and it's been such a joy, especially for me to see Kenta just coming back and reclaiming himself and being so good. He's so happy. Uh, he's so happy, although like not smiling because that's not his thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but do go <laughs> check it out um, if you want a specific match to go look at. I really, really enjoyed the Tanahashi-Kenta match um, that was just outstanding. Um, i really, 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 really loving it. And please tune in next week for your G1 Climax update with Lindsay uh, because I'm having a nice time. It's been such a good tournament. It's so good. Yeah, I think we talked about it a lot uh, last week in order of things. We talked about it uh, a bit last week, so anytime we can uh, give some love to the G1, I'm very happy. Watch it, watch it, hell, hell, hell. Uh, since we co-put over Becky Lynch's <laughs> response to, to Vince Russo on Twitter, which was fantastic, I want to continue to put over my uh, the person who I think is should be the fastest rising star in professional wrestling. That's MJF. Uh, I love the heel work. I just love it everywhere. Just go do a deep dive. I don't even want to pick one thing. I enjoy his work in the ring as well. So it's not just, you know, some mm-hmm. sometimes somebody, you really enjoy their promos and then you don't really connect with their in-ring work. I just think he's all around great and very young. And I, I am excited to see where he goes. You know who, you know what I'm excited about? What are you excited? I'm excited watching you learn more different wrestling stuff <laughs> and actually right? genuinely Isn't being excited about it. Yeah, it's really fun watching you break out of your WWE bubble. It has been I'm doing it. quite a treat. And how psyched it. you've been about it. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, it's been great. It's, it's yes, like fantastic. genuinely very enjoy like enjoy the buffet. How I want to just eat the chicken fingers. <laughs> That's all I eat. Golden Corral. I keep emptying the bin. They asked me to leave. <laughs> they said we don't have any more for the other people. I said these are for me. They can have the prime rib. But Wait, now hold on. you're, like you're going to put rib. on the Burberry scarf and yeah. you're going to check out that prime rib scarf <laughs> and you're going to say, hey, maybe today is the day I will try the dumplings. My dad legitimately has that has that scarf. Excellent. I'm pretty oh, sure we all had that scarf in the early. 2000s, <laughs> yeah. didn't we? Yeah. I remember everyone at my school, my college had that They scarf. handed it out. Here's your scarf. Here's your scarf. Go study theater. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that does it for Tights and Fights. We are a podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. This week, your hosts were Mike Quackenbush, Lindsay Kelk, and Danielle Radford, along with me, Hal Lublin. Mike, thank you so much for joining us once again. Please, the plugs are yours. Well, my recent podcast, Kayfabe 2.0, a podcast for fellow professional wrestlers, just came to an end at the end of season three. But that's given way to my new YouTube project, Till We Make It. And while I don't doubt there are lots of points of intersection in other types of performance, maybe you're a musician, maybe you're a comedian, maybe you perform in some other way, shape, or form, these things, uh, I, I try to specifically tailor-make them for professional wrestlers. You may find it gives you a unique insight into the craft if you're just a fan, if you're an aficionado. So by all means, check that out. It all began that journey with my book, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, a book for fellow pro wrestlers. You can get it from Amazon or as an audiobook on audible.com. And everything I do with Chikara can be found at 
ChikaraPro.com or my training facility, TheWrestleFactory.com. Fantastic. Uh, for me, as always, you can listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal. You can listen to Good Morning Night Vale and become a Patreon patron there. See, I figured it out. Grandpa knows the internet. Danielle, what's going on with you? As per usual, you can watch the Honest trailers. We just, I, I don't remember which one we're doing this week because this is weeks from now and I haven't written it yet. <laughs> but it will be written and it will be cool. Emmy nominated. Yes, that is. We have been nominated for an Emmy this year. We because did. of you. <laughs> because there were fewer things like there had been like this series of these bigger shows coming out with like smaller internet things right and the more that that kept happening the more that i was convinced that we were not going to get nominated this year but we did we got nominated and uh it's very exciting and thank you that's because of you Lindsay kelk wow uh i write books please buy them that's that's where we're at buy <laughs> really. my books yeah <laughs> they're really funny i think i've been told by non-family members so feel free to check them out. Uh, so her newest book, because you keep sucking at actually saying the I'm names of the I'm not good at this part. I write them. I don't know how to talk about them. Go check out I Heart Hawaii, which yes. I believe is the last in the I Heart series. It, it is, Danielle. Uh, Thank you. You're very welcome. There are also lots of other books in that series. Go check those out. And Lindsay has a children's book called Cinders and Sparks, which I know is out in the UK. Is it out here? Uh, it's not out here yet, but it will be soon. I believe pre-order. it's on pre-order. You pre-order. Can you can pre-order. Yeah, feel free to spend your, your money on it. I'll just be your pipe man. Like, what are That'd you? That'd be great. Yeah. I'll just stop feeding you material. Uh, Wear we'll a book on there. a chain around your neck. You're my Josiah. That's yeah, <laughs> we got books. Uh-huh. <laughs> Our producer is the rock climbing master of the V3 trigger, Julian Burrell. Senior pre- is that a video game? It's a rock climbing thing. V3s are like... It's a, a rock climbing thing, climb. Hal. Oh, you're rock climbing now? I don't like that for you. Never mind. <laughs> Senior producer of Maximum Fun is Laura Swisher. Mike Eagles, the voice behind our theme music. And I can see him through the glass. What? I don't care. I'm not, I, don't, I wasn't here when we recorded last week's episode, but my goodness, I saw him. I swear I saw him. With your own eyes. Keep up with us all week long at Facebook.com slash group slash Tights Fights and at Tights Fights on Twitter and on Instagram. And if you love the show, remember to hit those five stars on Apple Podcasts and share us with all your friends. Thank you so much to the Max Fund members who make this show possible. Your recurring monthly contributions keep the lights on when we're in this hot box, for goodness sakes. We'll be back next week for more, you guessed it, wrestling. Tides and Bites Podcast. Tides and Bites. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.